Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. We worship together at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, both in person and online at youtube.com slash area10church. Kid-friendly programming is also available at the same time just down the street at 2810 at Community Gathering Place. We hope to see you at the Bird Theater soon. Now, on to this week's message. We have what I think is a national obsession with measuring almost everything in this culture. Like, think about how measurement shows up in, in almost all aspects of life. So, so, for example, with sports, if you take something like football, okay? So, if you watched the Super Bowl last week, you know that at the end of the first quarter, the score was zero to zero. But because we measure everything, you could, we could already start talking about who is winning the game. Technically, nobody's winning the game. It's zero to zero. But at the end of the first quarter, this is such an American thing we do, we go like, well, it's zero, zero. But this team made, you know, 137 yards, and this team only went 87 yards. So clearly, this team is doing better than this team. Like, because we got to measure, and they had this many penalties, and they, they had this many passing yards, and this much, like, it's, it's crazy. We measure to an insane level. Contrast that with a sport that was created in, like, England, like soccer. Like, in American football, right, at the end of the game, they're going to be like, who is the MVP? Oh, it's Patrick Mahomes. Well, why? Well, because he threw for this many touchdowns, and he ran this far, and he threw for this many yards. They have all these numbers. But in, in soccer, they also have an MVP at the end of the game, but they call it the man of the match. Have you ever seen this? The man of the match. The, score, the final score could be 0-0. Zero, zero. And they'll be like, well, who is the man of the match? And they'll be like, well, this guy was the man of the match. And it's like, well, why? And they have nothing to measure, right? They're like, well, he was just really good. He was just all over the place, you know? And you're like, what are you all doing over there? Like, measure something. Put something on the line here. But that's what we do. We, we're obsessed with it. And it's not just sports, right? We do it all over the place. But I, I think maybe this is a function of like a capitalist society where we're trying to earn money or whatever. But like our business culture is obsessed with you got to measure outputs and KPIs and all this stuff, right? We got all these things to measure. And then we do it with education. We're going edu- to measure educational performances for kids and how are they doing and how are they, are they getting these grades and these scores. Like we measure, we are obsessed with measurement. Another way of saying that is we are obsessed with making judgments about things, about saying this is good, this is bad, this you should spend money on, this you should not spend money on, this is worth it, this is not worth it. We make judgments like that all the time. And generally, that's good and fine. You make judgments in your life all the time. What are you going to do today? What are you going to have for lunch? What are you not going to have for lunch? Where are you going to be? Who are you going to spend time with? How are you going to spend your time, money, energy? All of that requires judgment. And, and we're fine with that. But if I said you're being judgmental, well, now we've gone too far, right? You're, we're, we're measuring, we're making judgments, we're saying things are good and bad, but don't say that's good or bad. Don't go quite that far into some level of being judgmental. We think this is, you know, uh, judgment is good, but judgmental is, is very bad. And, and I get it. it really, and it, it's not new to us, right? Every culture in history has wrestled with the idea of judging things to be good or bad and maybe being judgmental when things are too good or too bad or whatever, like making some hard calls. Uh, every culture's wrestled with it, even in the ancient world. And, and historically, not only have we wrestled with the idea that our judgments are good or bad or people are being judgmental, we've also wrestled with the idea of God 
And if there's a God, is he being judgmental or is he judging me or can God judge me? Is he allowed to judge me? And how does God judge me? Like these are big questions. And I want to get into this a little bit this morning as we continue our series called Pillars, we are looking at these foundational truths of our faith, and they are built from the book of Romans. We're looking at the book of Romans, chapters 1 through 7. I told you before, I have been reluctant to teach through Romans. There's just a lot in there, and there, there, we could spend, uh, I, I, I have a friend at a church, they're spending a year through the book of Romans. We're going to spend like eight weeks in the first seven chapters or so, so we're not going to be as exhaustive as that. But um, I want us to look at these foundational truths, and I want to talk about judgment today and, and why uh, it matters and what it matters to us and maybe how we should uh, judge correctly, I guess. Um, and so to, to do that, I want to pick up a piece that we left off last week. Romans, at the end of Romans chapter 1, Paul had talked about God's wrath, which was super fun if you were here last week. Just go back and get a fun message on God's wrath. Share it with grandma. Tell her how great it was. Uh, but that's where Paul goes at the end of Romans chapter 1. And I want to just pick up something he said last week. If you remember this, he gives us this list. Romans one twenty eight. he says this. He's talking about when we turn away from God. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of enver, en- enver, enver. envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. This is not a nice list at the end of Romans 1 of how badly things go for us when we turn away from God and we start just following our own sort of selfish desires. And that list is fine as long as we think it's not calling out us. As long as you read that and you go, well, that must be somebody else he's talking about. Surely he doesn't mean me. He just means like, you know, those people over there. Those people are doing this, not me, I'm pretty good. And Paul anticipates that we might have that reaction. And so at the very beginning of chapter 2, now keep in mind, in the, in, this was originally a letter, there's no chapter division. The chapter division is added like 1,500 years later just as an index system. So this is just continuing on his thought. At the beginning of Romans chapter 2, he starts by, by saying this. After going through that list, he says this. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourselves because you, the judge, practice the very same thing. So at the moment, you read that list and you go, I mean, yeah, those people suck, right? Like they do those things and they're terrible. Paul turns it back on you and go, no, no, this is you too. This is calling you out. This is challenging you because you're sitting there saying those people do that. You do the same stuff. Now what's weird about that is, In the first century, if you're hearing this letter for the first time, this letter would have been read aloud. And if you're in Rome getting this letter from Paul and he reads that list and you're hearing it, you're probably thinking of like Roman citizen, the average Roman citizen with their, the orgies and all the things that go on in in the ancient empire of Rome, right? You're, You're thinking of that and you're going, yeah, that's right. You tell him, Paul, those people are terrible. And you're thinking, it doesn't apply to you. You're going, I, actually, I'm, I'm one of the good guys. Like, I'm a God follower person. Maybe you had a Jewish background. You're like, I follow a whole different set of laws and rules than all those crazy people, those pagan people. I'm not, I don't do their thing. And, and maybe you felt that way, and Paul comes along and goes, no, you do the same stuff. You might be like, no, I don't. But here's the thing. If Paul's list was merely a list of actions, you might have a point. But his list isn't a list of actions. Some of them are actions. Murder, that's an action. 
But envy, greed, hatred, strife, deceit, uh, heartlessness, being ruthless, these things are attitudes of the heart. And when you start going to attitudes of the heart, we all go, oh, wait, well, I, I do kind of feel that way sometimes. This is the challenge we run into when you read the Sermon on the Mount and you read Jesus says things like, um, do not murder, because that's, that's the Ten Commandments, right? Thou shall not murder. So Jesus goes, do not murder. And then he says, but I tell you, if you're angry at someone in your heart, that's where the problem is. It's easy to be like, well, I just haven't murdered anybody. I'm good. And Jesus goes, no, you're not. You're, you've got anger in your heart. Well, I haven't committed adultery. That's one of the Ten Commandments. I didn't cheat on someone. I, I've done what I'm supposed to do. I have not committed adultery. And Jesus goes, that's not the problem. You still have lust in your heart. Like, we've got to deal with that. The, 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 the murder, the, the adultery, those things are branches. But the root of the tree is anger and lust and pride and greed and envy and those sorts of things. And so Paul's doing a very similar thing to what Jesus does. He's going, you know, you're going to judge people because they do these things, but the reality is you have those same issues going on in, in your own heart. And you need, to, you need to think about that. You're not without blame. So don't be passing judgment on everybody else because you got your stuff too. Look at where he goes with that in, cha- in chapter 2, verse 2. He says, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Paul tells us not to be judgmental of other people. That's not our role. But he does say um, there is judgment coming, and it comes from God, that God will judge us, all of us, um, and that he, will, that he will judge us fairly. Now, the idea that God judges us, um, I don't know if that makes you uncomfortable. I, I think it's a little bit like what we talked about last week about the wrath of God. You start talking about the wrath of God and people get uncomfortable. Understandably, right? It sounds very, like, heavy. But as I said last week, uh, you want a God who has some wrath and pays attention to evil and does something about it. Like, that's actually a good thing. And I would say the same thing about judgment. You want, if, if God is real, you want a God who sees the evil in the world feels anger towards it, and then actually judges it and does something about the people who perpetrate evil. You don't want a God who's up there going, uh, you know, you go, God, this thing is terrible. Can you stop this thing happening? And God's up there going, yeah, I can't really do anything about that. Sorry, it's not really my department. I don't really deal with that nation or those people or that problem or this. Like, I can't, sorry, my hands are tied here. I can't do anything. Like, that's no God at all. There's no power there. You want a God who sees evil and is angered by it and ultimately judges it and does something about it. That's, that's what we want. So the idea that God has judgment, um, that's not a bad thing. God will, as Paul tells us, God will judge all of us. Now, that might end badly for us, but it doesn't have to. In fact, he's going to unfold over several chapters here how we can be right before God and how we can, and things can be good. But let's look where he goes in verse 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Here's the first idea I want us to get. This is weird to say in a message where we're talking about judgment, but this is important. Number one, let God's kindness move you to repentance. 
I think this idea gets a little bit undersold by the church today um, or by Christians today. We, we, I don't know where we got this in our head, but we think that um, the thing that's really going to move people to change is if we yell at them, right? Like if we just bring what's true and right and say it really loud and forcefully, you know, if we sort of shout our truth and tell people how it is, you know, we're like, man, people are really, really going to change if I just tell them, you know? They, I sure told them, you know, that, that kind of idea. And that's actually not what we see here. He, what, what Paul tells us is that God is actually very patient with us. Patience and forbearance, and, and it says he has kindness towards us. This is who God is. He shows up in a posture of kindness towards us. And we should recognize that. No matter, no matter what you've got going on, the truth is on some level God has been very kind to you. You are extremely blessed to live where you do, to have air to breathe, to have uh, beautiful things in life. Um, Sure, America has a range of people who are living really well and people who aren't living as well. I understand that. But even just generally across the board, uh, we have good gifts from God, and we should appreciate that God has given us the beauty of the springtime when it comes out, the the thrill of, of having a puppy, the, the joy of uh, great conversation and relationship, the, 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 the enjoyment that we get to have of all the kinds of food and, and flavors that are available to us. Like, God has blessed us with some, some pretty great stuff for, for, our, uh, for our enjoyment. And God's kindness towards us and love towards us should move us away from evil, move us away from sin. It should make us repent, which means to turn away. It should, God's kindness towards us, his patience with us, his love towards us should make us repent and turn away. I know that doesn't always happen. When, sometimes when people are really kind to us, we feel unworthy. You ever experienced that? Like people are just like over the top kind and nice to you and you don't always think, yeah, they're nice to me and they're kind because I'm so awesome. A lot of times we just think they're being really kind to me. Like what's up? Like, they don't know how terrible I am. Like, I've done some horrible things. Why are you being so good to me? And we have this sense of, like, shame in us. And so kindness doesn't land on us very well. We just sort of go, like, man, if they really knew how terrible I am, they would not be so, so nice to me. And, and sometimes the shame of, of what we've done and our sin and our struggles that, that make us hide, and we want kind people and we want loving people to get away from us. Uh, Paul calls this, a, like, a hard and impenitent heart. We're just walking down a dark road, and we don't want to turn back. Um, and, and that kind of thing can end pretty poorly. But a different reaction to the love and kindness of God is to repent. This is what Paul said. Don't you know that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repent, repentance? His love and kindness can motivate us to change. Have you ever experienced love and kindness from someone and it motivated you to change? I totally have. This is what... This is what dating my wife was like. This is the only, I mean, it was like, I met her, I'm like, oh, she's kind of great. And then I'm like, and then I'm like, I'm just kind of not. Okay, uh, if, if I'm going to get there, I think I'm going to have to be kind of great because I got to match her level of great, you know? And um, she was kind to me. And it motivated me to change and sort of the classic, like, you know, you make me want to be a better man sort of thing. Um, that's, that's sometimes what happens. You, you 
you meet someone or you get in a relationship where people are kind and loving towards you and it sort of raises the expectation or raises the bar for you. And sometimes you step up and meet that and you go, this, this, is, gonna, uh, this, this is a good thing and I want to change because the kindness, the kindness that I'm experiencing is challenging me to step up. The truth is, uh, we will all stand before God and one day, and he will judge all of us. And um, I guess what I want to say now is, uh, let the good things in life, the kindness that God has shown, the love that he has shown to you, acknowledge that it's there, and let that drive you to repentance now before you stand before him as the judge. Let, let, it, let it go like, man, God has been good to me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk differently now uh, and, and not wait until I, I stand before him. Um, we have to be ready when we stand before God to, to handle judgment. So how do, we, how do we handle judgment when it comes from God or even from others? Uh, our, I think our culture has a couple approaches to judgment. These are things that we kind of think about in culture that I think we also carry over to how we think about God. Um, one, one approach to judgment is to just say, I'm okay, you're okay. I'm okay, you're okay. Now, we don't say it in those words exactly now. That's actually a self-help book from the 1970s. It was called I'm Okay, You're Okay. And it, it taught a whole generation to believe from a mental health perspective that I'm fine, you're fine. We don't say it that way. We say things more like, you know, don't judge me, leave me be. Uh, just I'm doing my thing over here. You do you. I'll, I'll, do me, I'll do me, I'll do my thing. But it's that same sort of idea. Basically, like, everything I do or want is okay, and everything you do or want is, is okay. Uh, and that's kind of one approach that we've taken to the idea of judgment, try to cut all judgment out of the world, is believe that I'm okay and you're okay. And it's weird how that shows up in culture now. Uh, my wife was telling me she took a yoga class, and I, I take yoga every now and then. I'll do a, a class. I, I, I like the strength and the, the flexibility and all that. And she was taking a yoga class, and they were telling them to do, you know, do this or do this. Um, and, and the yoga instructor said, uh, every choice you make is perfect. And I just thought, how dumb is that? <laughs> like, Clearly, that's not true, or I wouldn't be in a yoga class to begin with because I've made some bad choices, and now I'm, 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 all, I'm all like tied up like a pretzel over here because I make some poor choices with my body and the way I live. So every choice I make is not perfect. But this is the kind of thing that we say. Oh, you know, you decide what's right. You decide what's good. Every choice you make is perfect. I'm okay. You're okay. It's all good. And it's nonsense, guys. It doesn't actually work. If you are over there burning down your work or your family and destroying people, your choices are not okay. It's not I'm okay, you're okay. You're quite not okay right now, and you need to maybe just stop, <laughs> right? Like, it's not that simple, I'm okay, you're okay. That's one solution. Then we go to the one that Paul is calling out in Romans 2. I'm okay, you're not okay. Right? And this is classic judgmentalism. I've got stuff figured out, you not so much. Like, Paul's calling out the fools, and as long as he's calling out those fools and not this fool, we're good. I, I feel like I've generally got a handle on it. I'm listening to the right voices in culture. I'm following the right things. I watch the right news channels. My social media feed is curated perfectly, and I've got this. You, on the other hand, are listening to idiots, and you don't understand what's going on, and you're, you're screwing things up. And the reason our culture is bad is because 
I'm one of the good ones in it, and you're not. Now, we don't necessarily say that kind of stuff out loud, but we all know this happens all the time. We recognize that attitude. This is exactly the kind of thing that we hate in our culture. This is judgmentalism, right? This is the, ugh, this is so gross when you see it because you feel like people who say this or act this way that I'm okay and you're not, we, we feel like that's very not self-aware, it's full of pride. Like we just go, that's gross when I see that attitude in people. But it's, it's very, it's very uh, popular. And it's the, the kind of thing that we don't like in our culture. If our culture believes in sin at all, we at least believe in the sin of being that it's a sin to be judgmental and tell someone that what they're doing is not okay. We think that's maybe the worst sin in the world is to tell anyone that anything they're doing is not okay. So that's, a, that's an option. I don't think that works either when dealing with judgment to just believe that I'm good and you're not. A third option is this. I'm not okay, but you're okay. Uh, this is the language of anxiety and depression, Right? oh man, everybody else has got this figured out. I do not have it figured out. Man, I'm just such a screw-up. I'm just such a loser. They all get this. It all works out for other people. It doesn't work out for me. This is the kind of stuff, we, we don't say this as much out loud, but this is the kind of stuff we say in our hearts a lot. Uh, there's, there's a lot of anxiety in that. There's a lot of shame in that. That can be clinical depression. And we just think that I'm a loser, so probably God feels that way about me too. I mean, if we're honest, we just go like, this isn't good, and he probably thinks I'm not good either. And that takes us down a very dark road, but that is one way we, we handle judgment, is, is we just go, well, it must be all the judgment for me, but not for anybody else. But I actually think the message of the gospel and the message of Jesus is, is if we're going to, if all three of those are kind of dead-end roads that, that end badly for us, I think the message of the gospel actually sounds something like this. I'm not okay, and you're not okay, but because of Jesus, that's going to be okay. An honest assessment is, I've messed up, you've messed up, I got stuff, you got stuff, and we're not going to fix this on our own. But Jesus has done something for us, and if we will stick with him, it can be made okay. And that's actually... a. a part of Paul's whole point that he's going to unfold over several chapters that we'll get to. But listen to how the judgment of God goes here that he explains. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render, listen to this, he will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. There's a lot we could say about those six verses or so. But here's the thing that I think comes through pretty loudly in all of that. Um, God does not play favorites in this stuff. He's not looking at you going, oh, you're nice, or you come from a nice family, or you were born on the right side of the tracks, or you grew up in this good place, and you're, you're one of the good people in life, and those other people, they're not. He's, not. he's not playing that game. He's judging us fairly. And that means no matter who you are, where you grew up, where you come from, what you've done, uh, you have the opportunity, every opportunity, to be in relationship with God and be in his family. Now, this gets a little wonky in church world, especially that phrase there where Paul says, um, 
or, or Paul kind of gets at this idea of like God judges each according to his works. This gets, historically, this gets really weird in the church uh, where people get like, oh, well, I've done bad things and we think it's like scales. So I've piled up all these bad things on the scale. I need to now go do good things and that's going to offset the bad things. And, me, and we, we all know how scales work, right? If I will just do enough good things, then my bad things are going to be covered and, and taken care of. And so we... Uh, historically in the church, this got real weird with people like uh, in the Catholic church centuries ago where people are like paying money to the church in order to buy souls into heaven and things like that. Like it just got real odd and the reformers uh, were, were rightly critical of that kind of thing. Um, but even, even, even up to today, if you look at um, sort of your more Catholic uh, expression of faith, you, you'll see things similar to, uh, okay, you have these sins, you've confessed these sins, now go cover over those sins by saying this many Hail Marys or saying this many prayers. Like, it's, it's this scales idea of you've stacked some bad stuff up, we're going to fix it by you going and doing a couple good things. You should give and serve and volunteer and give money and say these prayers and do these things, and then you're going to make that will somehow make it all right, as if it's just entirely a scale. And the Protestant reformers, um, I don't think they got everything right, and I think they missed some, some good things. Um, but they come along and they say, this is really a game you're not going to win. And we'll, we'll talk about that more next week. Um, but the truth is, we can never stack up enough good things. We're never going to just do enough good things in life that God has to accept us. You know, we're, we're not going to be able to stand before God and be like, I will prove to you how good I am. Look at all the great things I've done. We're never going to be able to do enough of that to, to overcome um, our sin and, 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 and things. And so Paul sort of frames that up for us, and he, he basically says there's, there's wrath, there's punishment, and then there's the good uh, that's coming. It's, it's really heaven and hell is kind of what he's laying out for us and saying there is an end to where this goes. Um, so uh, we, we need to recognize that and let it challenge us. If you're not in on this God stuff, let me just encourage you today. Um, just start by letting God's kindness lead you to repentance. Let, let the idea that God has been good to you uh, open up your mind and your heart to maybe there's a relationship there that you could have and it could be a great thing. But if you are a follower of Christ and we're trying to figure out how to handle God's judgment, um, I would say this, number two, let God's judgment lead you to humility. Paul talks about a proud and impenitent heart, someone who's not willing to turn, turn away or um, who's not willing to walk away from the, the dark road that they're on. And I, I would say the opposite of that is to be humble. Um, our, our attitude should be, man, thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you. Our attitude as followers of Jesus should never be, I'm better than someone else. The only person you're better at then is the you you used to be. You know, you go, okay, I, I'm better than I used to be. That's all I got. I'm not better than you. I'm not better than this guy, this girl. I, I'm just, I'm not trying to play the comparison game because the comparison game gets into all the judgment that we're not supposed to be doing. It's not our place to judge. It is the Lord's. And so um, remember to uh, let God's judgment of the world that he sees fairly and rightly, let, let that drive us to humility and go, man, I, I'm, if, I'm, if I'm in God's family, it's by his grace, not by anything I've done. It's not because I'm so amazing. It's because he's kind and he's been good to me. 
Um, so our, our, our attitude toward God we should, and to others should be humility and, and thankfulness. And our attitude towards others should be not judgmental. Actually, so for whatever reason, the algorithm of social media sends me every Ted Lasso quote. It thinks that I'm the biggest fan. I like Ted Lasso. I don't know as much as I like it, as much as social media says I do. Um, but even in the last 24 hours, multiple times it has sent me, be curious, not judgmental. Thank you, Ted Lasso. Uh, be curious, not judgmental. And I, I think that's actually not a bad thing uh, that we would go, maybe what the world needs is a little less judgment, at least coming from us. God is going to judge people fairly, um, but our role is to show the kindness of God and live with humility. I think that's actually what you want. If, if, you, if you follow Jesus for the next 20, 30 years, what are you going to be like then, 30 years from now? My hope and prayer is that you and I, 30 years from now, are less judgmental and more humble. I have tried in my life to, to pay attention to people who are about 20 years older than me, and then, like, if they're awesome, I want to, like, reverse engineer it. Like, how did they get to be, you know? And, and there have been believers in my life, the senior pastor of my home church or professors in college or just different people growing up that I've just looked at and were like, they're great. How do I... They're just quality believers. And, they're, and um, across the board, I mean, they're, a lot of them were like talented and interesting and all those things, but across the board what I notice is they're just humble. And I just go like, how do I become that? And sometimes you see the opposite, right? You see people who are 20, 30 years older than you, and they've been following Jesus, and somehow that has made them more cranky. And you're like, I don't know. I think I, you're doing it wrong. I don't know what you're doing over there, but... But when you see someone who is humble and gentle and they've been in it a long time following Jesus, there's something about that that you go like, that's, uh, I think that's right. I think God's word is getting into their hearts. I think it's actually changing them. This is who we want to be. This is who we want to be as, as um, husbands, wives. It's who we want to be as children to our own parents. It's who we want to be as parents, as, as followers of God. We want to be people who... God's judgment actually doesn't hang on us heavy, but it actually leads us to more kindness and uh, more humility. Let's pray. God, for, for everyone in the room who um, maybe the, the idea of you judging us, it's very heavy. I pray that um, we, we today what we hear is that you are loving, patient, and kind, and, and not take that kindness for granted, but let that kindness lead us to repentance and to move and to change, and that we are inspired because of your love. We are inspired to grow and to change and give our lives to you and be in your family. And God, for those who have accepted you, who are like, I'm, I'm bought in, I'm a disciple, I'm, I'm trying to follow Jesus, um, may we reflect that kindness, and may we have um, strong measures of humility that we are not hotheads with each other or with anyone, but that as we live out our faith longer, we grow in humility. Um, God, may that be a characteristic of us and of this community as we, as we are friends with one another, as we teach, as we lead, as we parent, as we are siblings, as we, as we love our coworkers. May we be people who are kind and um, patient and, and humble. In Jesus' name, amen.